Hey everyone, welcome to Lessons with Mike. Very exciting. This is uh, the second of the series I do with Jesse where we recap the movies that are in the shows and the media that we've consumed throughout the previous month. I'm here today with Mr. Jesse. Hey, I'm Jesse. It's true, he is. So this month is actually going to be a lot better than last month, our first installment, because Jesse actually saw a lot of things this month. Yay. So anyway, first I want to start with the film that both of us saw this month. Jesse, would you just would you uh, announce that film? Okay, so the film is called Megan is Missing. So Megan is Missing is one of those found footage type films. Um, and I've never really liked found footage films. I've always found them to be, you know, very cheap and annoying. This is a 2011 film directed by Michael Goy. And I kind of hate it. To be honest, uh, I find it very exploitative of young children. Uh, I know the actors in the film do not are not actually minors, but even so, the film is very exploitative. Um, basically, the whole point of the film is a warning against meeting people that you meet online. And I feel like that's the message they were going for, but it's very exploitative. There's an opening scene in the beginning where all these people who are supposed to be kids are at this party doing all kinds of drugs and and all kinds of crazy things. And maybe that's reality. Maybe that happens in some places. But to the extent that the movie was making it seem... It's not something that I find very believable that it would be to that extent. There's so many kids at this party doing all kinds of drugs. Like There's a scene where one of the young girls is, is performing you know, oral sex on a man in order to get drugs. And and it's just so exploitative. There's a, a scene later where the girl talks about how she was molested and abused and raped. And another scene where she talks about how she was um, exploited sexually. And all this stuff just seems like unnecessary shock value. And we haven't even gotten to the worst part yet, have we, Jesse? Oh, boy. So, spoiler alert. Major spoilers, obviously, for everything we talk about. Um, the end of the movie... Obviously, Megan goes missing halfway through the movie. She meets up with this guy that she meets online. Never do that. Never meet up with people unless you know exactly what their face looks like and you've at least had a group meeting with them before. Never meet with someone in a place that is not a public place. Like the back of, I think it was the back of like, was it a car wash or a fast food joint? Like the, the behind a restaurant and. Just don't do it. She meets up with this person who is pretending to be a younger person. She only ever hears his voice, never sees his face. And throughout the film, uh, it explores how first he starts off by stalking her. And then it, it just goes beyond and beyond. So Megan's friend, whose name I don't remember, she goes and looks for her. And she eventually is kidnapped herself by the same person. And Jesse, what happens next? Okay, so the last 20 minutes of the movie is probably the most disturbing part of the film. And by the way, the friend's name was Amy. It's Megan and Amy who are kidnapped in this film. So basically, the last 20 minutes of the film is from the perspective of the kidnapper who kidnaps Amy after he takes her video camera, which is where the majority of the film is. It's basically a gift she got on her birthday, and she filmed it for a lot of stuff. Anyway... He, he captures her, tortures her, rapes her too, and then towards the end of the movie, he finally says he can let her go now, but she has to get in a barrel. And this is a spoiler alert too, but whenever they open the barrel, 
guess what? It's the corpse of her dead friend Megan in there. She gets all terrified and stuff, and then he forces her to get in the barrel. And then at the very end of the movie, he buries her alive. Jesse, that's factually what happened, but I don't think you transcribed it with your voice and audio as adequate as you could have. Because while that is actually what happened, this scene took like 30 minutes, 20 minutes. of It's like a 10-minute rape scene followed by a 10-minute scene of him burying this person alive. And it's unnecessary. It's made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, it was kind of not, not great. And I don't see any value in this. As an educational device, I see no value. I feel like that was a cheap excuse for the makers of this film to use shocking and graphic. And this is an episode I'm doing later with a guest. We're going to talk about the use of the shock value and the shock factor in pieces of media. But I feel like this was just pointless glorification of sexual violence. And because there's, there's a really bizarre scene earlier on when the, the news crew tries to do a, a reenactment of the kidnapping. It's very bizarre and peculiar. I feel like this would have been a good five minute PSA, but a whole movie is just, it feels exploitative. And I was looking, these actors, don't really seem to have been in anything else. Yeah, they're kind of the only actress that I know had larger roles was the mom of Megan was the voice of Me- uh, was the voice of Wendy in South Park. Yeah. Other than that, not really any other actors there that are familiar. And that's all right. That's all right. I just I just would not recommend you watch it. In my opinion, it's a waste of your time. Uh, the core message is very simple. Uh, do not meet with random strangers from the internet, especially if you're an underage girl. You shouldn't even be talking to strangers. On the internet. Underage girl, underage, whatever your gender is, if you're underage, you should not be talking to strangers on the internet. It's incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. And when you're that age, your brain isn't developed to the point where you can detect these things as easy. Like, it's very easy to be conned. And that's why these predators prey on younger girls and boys because it's so much easier to con them. And it's it's very sad. It's despicable, really. And any kind of media that glorifies this kind of behavior should is just not appropriate to watch. And in my opinion, it's it's not even entertaining. Even the shock value scenes just made me uncomfortable. Now, I do get the point that the director was trying to like convey the message of not having underage people meet up and talk to people who are clearly older than them online but at the same time some of the movie's shock value could have not been as graphic to get the point across i i get what you're saying like it was completely unnecessary to have a 10 minute rape scene and it just goes on and on it was like what's the point of this there's no narrative value to this and there's also like really no point in the movie of pulling up the pictures of megan that were found on the fetish site either that was just, I, I don't know if they were trying to go for this really happened, but at no point did I ever think, oh, this really happened. Like, no, very, no found footage film that I've seen, except maybe the Poughkeepsie tapes. And I haven't seen the whole thing yet. I've just seen a little bit of it. But no found footage film for me is convincing enough to, oh, this could be real. But anyway, we're going to, we've spent enough time talking about this. Um, let's move on. There are a lot there are a lot of better materials out there that 
display a good amount of shock value but aren't as shocking when it comes to the subject like for example i know you haven't seen it yet mike and it's mainly about drugs but requiem for a dream is probably the best movie about this and i know it's really good and i probably would be very emotionally unstable if i watched it so perhaps i will one day but anyway the next thing that we're going to shift our focus to we're going to shift from movies into tv over the past few months jesse you haven't seen this so there will be heavy spoilers Okay. I saw seasons one and two of The White Lotus. I really enjoyed the characters in this program. I thought, there, now there have been some criticisms that they're not realistic portrayals of people, but I thought they were very realistic portrayals of people. Um, a few of the characters maybe were over the top. Season one, I actually preferred more than season two. In season one, the resort manager, Armand, his character is very fun to watch. And in season one, I get the message a whole lot more. It more pronounced. The message is rich people and exploitation. And they're so focused on their own. They're very self-centered, very self-absorbed people. There's a spoiler alert, Jesse. I'm serious. If you don't want to know, then close your ears. Mm-hmm. Episode one opens with, oh, a murder has happened. We, we don't know. And then we flash back a week ago and we try to pull the pieces together. It was very anticlimactic at the end. We'll just leave it at that. And then one of the scenes that uh, was very impactful to me in season one is when Armand says to his employee, he says, the people up top exploit me and I exploit you. And that reminded me of a scene from one of my favorite films, The Platform, where the character, I forget the character's name, but the character says, they're above us and they're going to be pissing on us. So when we're above people, we got to piss on them. And that mindset is a very toxic mindset that the rich use to divide the working class. It's like, oh, you have $100? Well, that guy only has $10. Go, you shouldn't even like him. The reality is you're a lot closer to a homeless man than you are to a billionaire. And that's just something you need to keep in mind. Solidarity, solidarity, very important. But anyway, uh, back to the White Lotus season two, I did not like as much because the point of the, the show was not as clear to me. Like I got the message they were going for, but unlike season one, Many of the rich people in season two, I actually really liked. And whereas in season one, the only characters I liked were the regular people, with the exception of um, uh, Mr. Mossback or the father, played by Steve Sond. Very, very good. But yeah, great cast all around, especially uh, the actor who played Armand. And in season two, uh, Jennifer Coolridge, who played... um, Tanya Marquardt in seasons one and two. Great performances from everyone. I would definitely recommend you watch it. And uh, yeah, that's the end of my discussion about The White Lotus. I didn't spoil most of it. I'm very proud of that. Anyway, Jesse, you go to what your next thing is. Oh, I wanted to go last. You want to go last? I have one more movie to discuss, and you have three. I know, but I want to discuss them at the same time, and I want to go last. Okay, fine. Uh, I'm going to discuss very briefly... And then Jesse will have a lot to discuss. The film Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out, directed by Ryan Johnson. Um, First of all, the suspension of disbelief is going to have to be through the roof for this sequel. I found it enjoyable and comedic, but the last 20 minutes were so unbelievably absurd. It felt cartoonish to me what was going on. Like, this this can't be real. Did you just want to extend the runtime or did you just need something else to do? Uh, spoiler alert it's incredibly obvious it is so obvious what's going on and that's the point the point of the, it's the glass onion is the metaphor it's something that seems complex and layered but the center is right there 
And that's why it takes Detective Blanc so long to figure the, to put the pieces together. It's so obvious there's got to be something else, right? But there isn't anything else. It is exactly what you think it is. There's a twist that comes halfway through the movie that I thought was kind of dumb, pretty generic, honestly. In my opinion, this happens a lot. I mean, it's a way people write themselves out of a corner, right? Uh, you write yourself out of a corner with time travel or secret twin that you didn't know about until this point. Uh, I'll let you guess which ones happens in the movie. But, but yeah, the cast is great. Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet was fantastic. Uh, the, the whole cast great. And that's a really good thing about the acting. It kind of makes up for the corny, cheesy cartooniness of a majority of this movie because these people are caricatures of people. It's like, and they're not good caricatures. They're exaggerated. And maybe there are people in the real world who are like this. But what was absolutely, I continue to believe that people in positions like the right wing media people, people like Ben Shapiro, Alex Jones, more so Alex Jones than Ben Shapiro. But I continue to believe that these people are intelligent and they're just grifting people. I, I, I don't think these people actually believe what they're saying. I think for the most part, it's a grift. I it's think you can say that for most political parties. It's more so on the Republican side, I would think. But uh, Batista's character uh, plays like a buff version of Alex Jones, who's super into guns and never leaves his gun. My gun, even when he goes swimming, his gun is in his waistband. Like, what kind of person does that? I don't know. I've never seen. Maybe someone out there does. But, but also, wait a minute. You got to be prepared, Mike. I'm not a big gun expert, but wouldn't it get wet? Well, yes. Fat, do can you even? Well, I guess you can shoot a gun under. I don't know. I'm not a gun expert. Any gun expert out there can come uh, correct me about the uh, mechanics of shooting a weapon underwater because I'm certainly not familiar with them. Okay, that's Glass Onion. Uh, other than that, I know Jesse wants to go last, so I'll wrap up everything else. I watched a few more episodes of Thousand Year Blood War. Very great. Love the production. Go go check it out. Regardless, just stop what you're doing and check it out. So anyway, Jesse, you finish. All right, so these three films are all part of a trilogy, and it took me all this time to actually get to sit down and watch them. I watched one per day, and the films that I saw were Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. I know. It took, it took a long time. you so long. For those of you who listened to the last episode, we really ragged on Jesse for not having seen these, but he finally watched them, and now he's going to discuss them at length. All right. So for a brief introduction, my first introduction to the Lord of the Rings series was from a video game series called Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor and its sequel Shadow of War. Basically, from what I've understood, the movies are canon to it, but the games itself are not canon to the movies, if that makes any sense. But I learned like some backstory of who Sauron was, Golem, and other minor characters. Did you say Golem? Yeah, Golem. It's Gollum. Golem, Smeagol, whatever. No, no, the name is pronounced Gollum. Gollum. Yeah, it's not Golem. A Golem is like a mythological One creature. of those rock things, yes. What? Yeah, sure, whatever. But anyway, yeah. Gollum. Yes, Gollum. But yeah, it was a nice little introduction to some of the characters of that setting. And then I think it was, I think it was either last year or early this year where I watched the Hobbit trilogy first so I can get more understanding of stuff. But anyway, I moved on from that, and this week I watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy. 
And yeah, the, Jesse, it's incredibly strange how you watch the Hobbit movies first. I don't know anyone else who has done that. If you're listening to this and you've seen the Hobbit movies before you saw the Lord of the Rings movies, please let me know because I'd love to know if there's more of you out there. I only mainly did it so, so I can get a, like an understanding of the prequels and stuff, like get introduced to some stuff of Lord of the Rings again before I go in to watch the main trilogy. Well, the thing is, and I'm sure you know this now, the prequels are not as good. Yes. That is fact. They are not as good. Yeah. Um, the prequels suffer from trying to cram in as many references and trying to extend as much as... But similarly to the Rings of Power, which only has a little bit of material to work with, there's only one Hobbit book, and Peter Jackson was given some sort of task, or maybe he came up with this idea himself, who knows, but to turn this one book into three separate movies somehow and at first it was going to be two movies then suddenly it became three and you know my favorite Hobbit movie is still the desolation of smaug because of the experience i had and we'll have to go into that some other time but uh yeah tell us about the lord of the rings movies jesse start with uh, the fellowship of the ring all right so basically in fellowship of the ring it starts off basically with gandalf coming to the shire shire to meet with Bilbo Baggins because the location of the ring has been rediscovered again because Sauron's forces. By the way, Sauron is the creator of the one ring, the ring that rule them all, that rules, I think it was like nine rings for men, three for dwarves, and seven for the elves or something like that. But anyway, Sauron, this is like in a prequel, like not a prequel, but like a luxury opening of the movie where Sauron gets his fingers cut off and he loses power of the ring. And then the one true ring falls in the hands of men and then other people. And then Smeagol gets a hold of the ring. And then as per, as shown in, what was it? I think it was an unexpected journey. Like the full scene was shown of how Gollum loses the ring into Bilbo Baggins. Then Bilbo Baggins holds on to the ring for 60 years. And then its location is rediscovered again by Smeagol giving information to Sauron's forces. And then Gandalf insists on Frodo Baggins to, who, by the way, Frodo Baggins is the nephew of Bilbo Baggins. And he is entrusted by Gandalf to go to Mount Doom, which is where the rings were first crafted by Sauron originally to cast it into the, into the volcano so it can be destroyed. And then joining him on Frodo's adventures are his friends Sam Pippin and Mary, who probably some of my favorite characters in that movie, especially Sam towards Return of the King, which I'll get to a little bit once I talk more about Return of the King. But anyway. Okay. Yeah, I remember Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, shout out to Sean Bean. What was his character's name? Was it Faramir or Boromir? Boromir, Boromir yes. Faramir's the brother. I always get those two confused. But yeah, that's some more stuff to get along as we go on to the movie. And then later on, they make it to Riverbend, which is the hometown of the elves, which includes Elrond and Arwen and all of them. And then over there, they make the Fellowship of the Ring, which, by the way, I love how all of these movies name drop the title of the movie in the movie. I love it when movies do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're... Okay, roll credits. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so fu it's just so funny to me. Whatever a movie or TV show does that, like, oh, this is what it actually is called. But anyway, off topic. Back to the main point. The Fellowship of the Ring is formed. It consists of Sam, Frodo, Pippin, Merry, Gandalf, 
Aragorn, who is not revealed as such by now, but he was named as Strider because the four dwarves, not four dwarves, four hobbits met him on the way to Rivendell. So, and by the way, Aragorn is Arwen's boyfriend. So that's how they know him. And him, Aragorn, Legolas, who was also in the original Hobbit trilogy, which was pretty interesting to cool to see him come back again. And the dwarf Gimli and Boromir, they make up the Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. And then they eventually make it to the Dwarven City, which I forget what the name is off the top of my head. But it turns out the inhabitants of the Dwarven City are all dead now. And they're escaping the Dwarven City only to come face-to-face with a Balrog, which is basically in middle <sighs> giant demon. Yeah. And then, anyway, Gandalf, in the film, from what we think, sacrifices himself to save the rest of the Fellowship from the Balrog. And then they escape. And then, later on towards the end of the film, they come across some Urukai, which are basically some new species of orc discovered in the land which basically i did miss some points there was another wizard not that wasn't gandalf his name is salomon the white he was also in the hobbit trilogy i think it was only in the first movie and the third movie of that but anyway salomon becomes evil has a fight with gandalf and then hires the local orcs to like chop down all the trees around i forget what the name of the forest is but that comes up later in two towers but anyway, while they're mining and chopping down trees, they find the Urukai, which is a, another new species of orcling or something like that. But anyway, towards the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, the Urukai fights the Fellowship, and in the ensuing battle, Boromir, who earlier tried to get the ring from Frodo, sacrifices himself so that Pippin and Merry wouldn't be killed, but Pippin and Merry eventually get captured. The Fellowship splits how it ends is Frodo and Sam try to go to Mount Doom by themselves and Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas try to like find them after the fact and that was the Fellowship of the Ring. Nice, nice. Now let's move on to the Twin Towers. That's not the name. It's the Two Towers. The Two Towers. You're right. The Twin Towers are something else entirely. You'll have to forgive me, audience. I was thinking about how Congressman-elect George Santos lied about how his mother died on 9-11. Shame on you for doing that. You should not be seated. If there was any spine in the Republican Party, you would not be seated. Shame, shame, lots of shame. Shame on you. Okay, back to the Twin Towers. The Two Towers. Two Towers. That's right. That's what I said. Two Towers. All right. So in the Two Towers, we get introduced to some more characters, like the people from the cities of Rohan and, no, not to say the country area of Rohan, which includes... Hold on, let me look at the let me look up the king's name real quick. What is his name? Oh, there it is. King Theoden. He was technically possessed by by Salomon, and he's basically older than he is. Like fingernails are extended longer than they need to be. His skin is old and wrinkly, and his teeth aren't in the best condition. But anyway, I'm getting a little off topic. Little yeah, to summarize it. Some did you ever learn? How to, you know, I remember in school they were like, "Make a summary." I hated making summaries. That yeah. you don't need to explain the whole thing. Just give it a summary. No, I want to explain the whole thing. Yes. But now I'm terrible. Should... Explain... Yeah. Now I'm terrible explaining the whole thing. But yeah. But Where anyways, were you towards the start of the two towers, Frodo and Sam finally come across Smeagol, who was the owner of the ring before Bilbo. 
And basically, Smeagol tells them, hey, I will take you to Mount Doom, and I will take you through the lands of Mordor. So they go and follow him throughout the lands and all that. And then later on in the films, the Urukai, not the Urukai, the orcs that captured Pippin and Marin are eventually killed by the um, forces of Rohan, which includes the king. I think it was the king's nephew. His name was, what was his name? What Eom. was his name, Jesse? What was it? Eomer, Billy Butcher's character. Who? You know, Billy Bush? Billy Butcher's character from oh, the Bi- boys, Eomer. Oh, Billy Butcher was in that. I didn't, Carl, uh, Carl, Carl Urban. Yes. Oh, cool, cool. It's been so long since I've seen these movies. Your summary is really bringing back memories. Keep going, please. All right. So basically, because he's possessed by Saruman, the King Theoden banishes Eomer. And then Eomer's company finds the orcs that captured Pippin and Mary, and they're killed, obviously. And then Pippin and Mary escape into the forest. And they are confronted by the int named Treebeard, who is probably also one of my favorite characters in this whole trilogy as well. Just the conversation. I love Treebeard. Treebeard. Yes. The way he talks is just, it's so slow, but it's really, I love Treebeard. And that whole thing where they're trying, I don't know, it was a really good sequence when they're trying to like convince the tree people to join their, their fight. It was really fun. Yeah. One of my funniest, one of the funniest scenes in that movie where they're conversing and Treebeard goes like, we have come to a decision. And Pippin and Mary are thinking, hey, they're going to fight for us. And then Treebeard goes like, we have come to the decision that you two are not orcs. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) Funny, funny, funny stuff. So anyway, what about us? I can, can I talk about, about the two towers? Oh yes. Oh yes. The battle sequence, but that's a little further on ahead. I need to backtrack a little bit. The King finally is King Theoden is finally three of Sauron's possession because Spoiler alert, Gandalf's actually alive, technically. He did die with his battle with the Balrog, but he was resurrected again as Gandalf the White. So Gandalf the White, who's no longer Gandalf the Grey, but Gandalf the White, comes and helps Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli to get to Helm's Deep. Because what happened was, Saruman's forces are going out and burning the villages in Rohan. So a lot of people are going to King Theoden's city, and then the city of Theodens is now moving into Helm's Deep, which is a city that's in a mountain. And then later on, towards the end of the movie, is the battle sequence of the battle at Helm's Deep. Basically what happens is they're being overrun by the orcs. Even the elves weren't that much of a help with them whenever they showed up. And then at the, at the break of the fifth day's dawn, Gandalf the White rides in on his horse with the forces of Iromer and them forces, and they obliterate well, not obliterate the orcs yet, because they fight the orcs, and then the orcs retreat into the forest, and the trees kill them. Mm. Yeah, shout out to Christopher Lee, who played uh, Saruman. Very, very good actor. Yeah. And uh, rest in peace, uh, thoughts and prayers to his family. I'm sure they miss him very much. Great guy. Uh, from all accounts, he actually met, the. He, I believe he's the only member of the cast who have actually met J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes, he is. Wow. We'll have to go into that story uh, if we... Uh, We'll have to go into that story if we can do a whole episode on Lord of the Rings backstory and lore. Uh, but Jesse, so after the battle, uh, that leads us to Return of the King. Is that right? Yes, the Return of the King, where the it's the only movie in that trilogy where its title sequence is a meme. What do you mean the title sequence is a meme? Okay, so there's like oh yes, yeah, I, I know the meme. Yeah, 
Whereas just Return of the King, the title sequ- the title screen is the meme. <laughs> I'd love that. So anyway, Return of the King. Oh, by the way, th- I meant to make this point up earlier in the Two Towers, but I forgot to. But who what was their names? Frodo, Sam, and Gollum meet Boromir's brother, who was I think it was Faramir or something like that. But anyway, they're battling in Gondor and Minas Mor. No, no, that's something else. But anyway. Boromir's brother lets them go because originally he was going to capture them so he could have the One Ring for himself so they could rule Gondor and try to defeat Sauron's forces from Gondor with the Ring. But anyway, he lets them go and then Smeagol has this inner conflict for himself where he finally decides to lead them into the lair of Shalob where Shalob can kill them so he can take the Ring for himself. And then we finally get into the third and final movie of this trilogy, which is The Return of the King. That's right. And I'll be honest, at the end, I teared up a little bit. It's such a good movie. Uh, these movies are very long, but uh, the, the, you know, women have the Titanic. Men have the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yes. Because the whole movie, we'll get into Titanic another day. I watched it with my wife, and I just, I didn't get it. I was like, oh, this looks cool, but it's no. like, eh, I didn't get it. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, in Return of the King, it's basic. So in the first few minutes of Return of the King, we get the aftermath of the Ents battle with Saruman's Tower in Isengard. And then basically what happens, Wormtongue, who is the servant of Saruman, stabs Saruman in the back while he's distracted. Then he gets shot in the arrow by Legolas. And then he gets shot in the arrow? No, he gets shot by an arrow from Legolas. That's I, know, what- I know, I know what you meant. I was just giving you a difficult time. Yeah, Wormtongue gets shot by Legolas after he stabs Saruman. Then Saruman falls to his death and is impaled on a wheel. Then what happens? Oh, I'm getting there. And then they pick up Saruman's Palantir, which, by the way, Pippin, the Hobbit, has like some moments with it, and so does Aragon as well. And there's also a subpoint, as there's also a subplot in the whole trilogy where his girlfriend Arwen is dying because the influence of Sauron has over the land is taking away her immortality. Because I believe the elves in there, I don't know if they're immortal, but they live long lives. But Sauron, not Sauron, Sauron's influence is slowly draining her life force away. And then more stuff with the Palantir happens. And then there comes a point where Gandalf and Pippin, after the stuff with the Palantir, finally make it to Gondor, which I forget what the city was named. Do you remember what the city was named? The city with the tree, Mike? The city with the tree. What do you mean by that? You know, they go in the Return of the King, they go to the, hold on. Gondor? No, Gondor is the villa, is the area. The city in Return of the King. Um, the city in Return of the King. Minas, Minas Trent? That's it. Minas, Minas Tirith. So they go to the city of Minas Tirith, which is where Boromir's father, Denethir, who is the servant of the empty king's chair, resides. And Denethir really, really does not like, what was his name, Faramir, who was Boromir's brother. There's even a subpoint later on where he thinks, where he sends his son and some of his other armies in a suicide charge and... It comes to the point where his son is unconscious, but he thinks he's dead, even when he knows he's unconscious, but not dead. And then he decides to sacrifice both of them in a fire, which was pretty dark. And then what happens? 
Oh, that was just like a little further on talking in the point I wanted to get back that I'll get back to in a little bit. So okay. basically, Gandalf and Pippin go to Minas Tirlath, and then Gandalf gets Pippin to light the fires of Gondor so that road that what was it? Rodian the armies. Yes, the yes. armies of Yes. The armies of Rohan can go Rohan, yes. Yes. The armies of Rohan can go and fight Gondor off from the orcs that are invading Minas Tirlath. And then there's some cool sequences where King, where Aragon goes and gets these wraith spirits to help them in the battle so they can fulfill the pact that they made. And there's like a cool scene too where the where there's some pirates who were mercenaries of sorts of Sauron to help Sauron in his battle. And they basically say, what army can you defeat us with? And then Aragon goes this and then the wraiths come in and just slaughter all the pirates. It was, it's such a good movie that the sequences are so good, so well choreographed. Acting is great. This is really going to become one of those classic movies. And it, these came out about 20 years ago. These yeah. came out and the cultural impact they had cannot be overstated. I mean, the inspiration, um, this has been the first time a, a major fantasy p- uh, production did this well, uh, yeah. both financially and um, receptionally, with the all the awards, all mm-hmm. the Oscar nominations, all the Oscars, the three movies won. Uh, the huge inspiration. This jump started the careers and it capitulated on the careers of several successful actors. A great performance is uh, Gandalf uh, from Ian McKellen. Other actors as well did great. It was just a phenomenal trilogy. Very and the set pieces are so intricately designed. A lot of heart was put into this. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really good trilogy overall. I'm glad you finally experienced it. Hold on, hold on. I haven't finished talking about Return of the King yet. Excuse me. Continue, please. All right. So we're at the point where there's finally the big battle at Minas Tirlath, where it's basically the forces of Gondor and Rohan against the orcs and the mercenaries that have come from faraway lands. And some of these mercenaries have these like giant kaiju-sized elephants that I thought were pretty cool to see in this. Yes, film. the elephants. Yes. They're like 50 feet tall elephants as well. Very intimidating. Were the elephants not in the beginning? Of what? The movie. Um, I f- yeah, yeah. They're act- no, no, no. They were actually in the two towers whenever, whenever the two hobbits and Gollum actually encounter them on the road for the first time. And then they're ambushed by Faramir's group. In two- oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, they're first seen in Two Towers, but I forgot to bring them up. But in Return of the King, that's when they actually get a chance to sign. Because what happens is the orcs, once they realize that more forces have come in, they start retreating. And then the giant elephants come in and almost turn the tide of battle into the favor of Sauron. Yeah. It's, but, so, so how does the movie conclude? All right. So the main battle concludes whenever... Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas arrive with the wraiths, and they obliterate the armies there. And also the Witch King of Angmar, who is the leader of the Nazgul, which, by the way, I forgot to say this earlier as well, the Nazgul are the original nine bearers of the nine rings given to the men. They are called ring wraiths as well. And the leader is the Witch King of Angmar, who in the film makes a pretty awesome boast that says, no man can kill me. And then basically he gets killed by a dwarf and a woman. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But now, the... I remember I remember Frodo and Sam were going off on their own little adventure trying with Smeagol, trying to get the and the one of the main plot themes is how 
obsession corrupts you like the obsession yeah. with the ring corrupted Smeagol into killing a uh, killing and you know be, becoming a mad and his obsession eventually led to his death because Frodo and Sam they make it to Mordor, Mordor. their goal is to throw the ring to the fire of Mordor and Frodo at the very end it looks like the ring has even corrupted him wait wait I want to talk about this okay all right so after that main battle we finally pick back up with Frodo and Sam who survived Shalob's encounters because and then there's a point where Frodo gets captured by the orcs because he got paralyzed by Shalob and then Sam rescues him from the tower and then that gets to the point where they're on the shores of Mount Doom itself and Frodo's about to collapse and he's about to like faint and stuff like that and Frodo basically says I cannot carry this burn anymore something like that and, Frodo, and Sam says I'll carry you my favorite quotes in the movie basically was Sam picks him up and says I may not be able to carry your burn but I will carry you to your destination or something like that it's Probably such a powerful listen anyone listening you cannot do this life alone human beings whether you believe we evolved which is the truth, or rather if you believe we were created by some supernatural force, we were not, we don't exist to be alone. We need help. It's okay to seek help. Seek help. Talk to a professional. Go to a therapist. It is okay. Find a friend. Talk to somebody. It's okay to need help. You can't carry it alone. Even Frodo couldn't carry it alone. Yes. All right, and then they finally get to the point where they're inside Mount Doom, and Frodo's about to throw the ring, but as Mike was saying earlier, he was becoming corrupted by it himself. And then Smeagol finally catches up with him again and bites off the hand, like the fingers that has the ring on him, what Frodo was, because he put back on the ring and the Nas. Oh, I forgot to also mention as well, there's also a final battle at the Black Gate entrance to Mordor that's currently going on with the forces of Sauron and our other heroes. And in that battle, the Nazgul, who are riding on the backs of fell beasts after getting obliterated almost by the giant eagles since that Frodo has put back on the ring on Mount Doom, and they go to Mount Doom to try and get the ring back. And then there comes a point where, like I said earlier, Gollum rips off, bites off Frodo's fingers with the ring, and then he gets the ring, and then Frodo and Smeagol fall off the cliff. Well, it seems like they fall off the cliff. Only Smeagol falls and dies in the lava, and then the ring is finally melted and destroyed. The tower that Sauron's eye was in crumbles. The heroes win. The earth opens up and swallows the orcs. It's a great end, a great end. And then they finally say goodbye to each other in the end, because in the end, Elrond, Gandalf, Frodo, and Bilbo all take a journey to the Undying Lands. And also, some more stuff that happens is that Aragorn finally becomes king, and he finally gets the girl. And also, Sam also gets his girl as well, which I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah. And that's basically a condescended description of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The word is condensed, not condescended. Condensed. There we go. Yeah, condescended is like if you're condescend. I don't even think condescended is a word. I think you're. I think you were going for like condescending, but what you really meant was condensed. I believe. That's it. Yeah, condensed. Anyway, but yeah, did you watch anything else this month? Uh, other than that, and Megan is missing now. 
Okay. Well, this was such a productive episode. You you really went into the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I know I just briefly talked about uh, the White Lotus and Glass Onion, but that's because I really think you should watch them more so. The White Onion than Glass uh, the White Lotus than Glass Onion. Glass mm-hmm. Onion's fun, but I believe you will enjoy the White Lotus more. It's something you marathon. Like it's not a show I could watch weekly. I waited for them all to be out before I watched them. Very good, especially season one. I've heard people say they like season two better. I'm curious as to your thoughts, which characters you like from the White Lotus, what you think they represent. Like I said, I didn't really want to get into it too heavily because it's it's pretty recent. A lot of people haven't seen it. I want to give everyone the opportunity to see it. Maybe we'll do a full-on in-depth spoiler discussion later, but I want Jesse to have a chance to see it as well. And uh, with Glass Onion, I didn't want to give away too much, even though it's incredibly obvious. And it, it's the whole thing, the metaphor, like I mentioned. But anyway... Thanks, Jesse, for being here and going into such great detail about the Lord of the Rings films and for talking about the other films we watched. I will see you next month for our January wrap-up. Hopefully I have also have stuff to watch for that month as well. Well, yeah, I would hope so. Either way, we'll, we'll make it a good time. All right, thank yeah. you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a five-star review. Share the podcast with your friends, your coworkers, your family, your enemies, the creatures of the forest, the birds, the bees, the foxes, the whatnots. The the what? The trees. Yes, the trees. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a great day. And thank you, everyone, for once again keeping me as the most listened guest on this podcast. That's true. Jesse is the most popular guest on the podcast. Somehow. As I should be. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have great days. Um, and yeah, that'll be it. Bye. Bye-bye.